Hello everybody, this is Patrick Attaway and this is Demise of the Podcast. A podcast where I discuss my writing and maybe other people's writing in the future. I'd love to, especially some of my good friends on Twitter, like Zev Good. Go check him out. Otherwise, today, I'm not going to be talking about music. I'm not going to be talking about films. I'm going to be talking... Let me get really close for this. I'm going to be talking about poetry. Specifically, my first book, Cornbread Poetry. And I was thinking about doing one episode. But, you know, considering the fact that a lot of this is going to be me reading the poetry and then talking about it, I should maybe do more than one episode per book. Because that would you know, go into more depth because I think each one of my books deserves more than one episode. Don't you? If you don't, don't listen. So in 2011, I started writing poetry. Now it could be 2012. I think it was 2011. Technically, I started writing poetry when I was 11, when I started writing lyrics, but I don't consider lyrics poetry. And a lot of people might disagree with me on that. If your favorite poet is Bob Dylan or Jim Morrison, I don't think you and I are going to have a very productive conversation. However, I did take a lot of influence from songwriters like Michael Stipe of R.E.M. and Donald Fagan and Walter Becker of Steely Dan. Then I started reading poetry. (laughs) Here's the thing. I read poetry in college like nobody's business because it was assigned to me, but also because I enjoyed it. Now, I cannot recite poetry off the top of my head. I've never been able to do that. I've got a bad memory. When I took an advanced poetry writing course, one of our assignments, and one of the reasons why I didn't want to be in the class anymore, was because we had to memorize poems and not recite them we had to write them down from memory and we could not exclude a single comma or period we couldn't get the division of the lines and the words wrong we had to have everything photocopy exact so did I learn anything from that no what did I learn that I didn't want to study poetry writing in college anymore so I wrote a poem related to that called Cornbread Poetry. Well, that was in 2013. So I started self-publishing on a site called digitalverse.org. And it had a, a small community, but I had a lot of people reading my poetry and giving me feedback. And I had over 80,000 people who read my poetry by the time the site closed, which is incredible. I mean, nobody reads poetry anymore, and I don't know that you can really count the stuff that they sell on Target, but nobody reads real poetry anymore. So, that was pretty cool. I started submitting my poems to legitimate journals in 2012 after I'd written about 100. I made this goal to write four poems a day in a spiral-bound notebook. Here's the thing about that. You need to write a lot of poetry before you finally get a good poem. I really believe that. I don't think anyone starts out right out the gate writing good poetry. And 
some may argue that I don't write good poetry. I had someone tell me, I want to say six months ago, I showed them one of my poems and they said, that's not poetry. And I said, well, I have several books of it. I studied it in college. I know what a poem is. I'm like, well, that doesn't matter. It doesn't make you good. That's not poetry. That's prose. And a lot of people say that Bukowski didn't write poetry. Now, they're stupid because he's obviously a poet. He obviously wrote a lot of poetry. He's published. He's got more clout, as the kids put it, than most poets out there. So to dismiss Bukowski as not a poet is just ignorant. And I don't mean to step on your toes, but that's that's kind of the truth, really. I don't dismiss Shakespeare because I don't like reading him. He's obviously very important. However, that's not what this podcast episode is about. It is about my book, Cornbread Poetry. So after submitting to maybe 50 different journals, maybe more, uh, got a lot of rejections, a site called Blognostics. It is not a self-publishing site, I promise you, because I did have to go through a submission process. They published five of my poems. I don't recommend you go read them. They're not good. But they were really kind to publish me. I mean, really kind to publish me. And then I got published by Bitchin' Kitsch, who also published me last year, and Dance Macabre, which is a really cool journal site. And they published me again last year because I was submitting to journals again for a few weeks and I wanted to give them another chance to publish me again. I wanted to be published by them again. They're great. Now, Digital Verse gave me the opportunity to have a wider audience than any of those venues because, for one thing, very few people read poetry journals. I don't know anyone outside of academia who subscribes to a poetry journal. I don't know anyone who even really likes to read poetry all that often outside of academia. There are people in academia who I know don't like reading poetry anyway. But Digital Verse in 2017 was coming to an end, and I wanted to take all the poetry that people liked and publish them in a book. That way people could read them still. And I didn't publish a paperback of Cornbread Poetry until the next year, I think. So for a long time, it was just Kindle. And a lot of people actually bought the damn thing, to my surprise. And people are still buying Cornbread Poetry. Now, it hasn't made me the big books, but a lot more people than I expected are still reading my poetry, which is phenomenal. Just wish they would read the other books, too. Uh, And also my novel. So, Cornbread Poetry begins with a forward. It's all encapsulating of all this crap. Now, the dates in here are a little wrong uh, because it starts everything off in 2014. Uh, That's because I went by the document dates and a lot of poems that I published on Digital Verse were published before I even had them on my PC because... I would write them in a notebook or I'd even just write them on digital verse and publish them. So I actually started publishing these things in 2012, 2013. 
a lot of the stuff that isn't in this book from that site is in the book Titleist, which is my third book. Now, if you go and you buy Glutton for Despair, which is my fifth book, and it collects all the poetry from my first four books, you get to read things sort of in the order in which they were published, and they're not separated by books. I tried to get things to where if you read a poem that I wrote one day, you'd get to read the poem that I wrote the next day too. So that's what kind of makes that book kind of special. Anyway, the first poem in the book, and I'm not going to read every single one, don't worry, that would be a bore, but I do want to talk about them and I want to talk about what made me write them because reading poetry is just as, as important as discussing what inspired poetry. Strike that, reverse it. Overreact. All the other names over this one. Little to your effect. On the short words that I cannot pain in my palm like the stake driven into his. Right out of the gate we have religious imagery. I have a lot of religious references in all of my work. I mean... I was born in the South, so I guess that's the one thing I have in common with Flannery O'Connor. Now, in terms of quality of writing, that's where the buck stops, because she is one of the best. Now, so many of these poems are written about people that I was either in love with or I was infatuated with. And if I had to guess, this would be about one of those girls I was infatuated with. So, the next, the next poem is called Never Read My Lies. You're to the screen. I read everything you say. Love not on the log, but betrayal. Before each comma and period. Drain me through smiles in the day and kill me in your second life when I'm lying awake. It's very dark. Good lord. What was, I, what was wrong with me? I was infatuated with this woman who was in the Digital Verse network. I followed her on Tumblr. She did not go by her real name, as far as I know, but she was one of the more popular writers on there. If you're listening to this and you were on that site, you probably know exactly who I'm talking about. And, I mean, I was in my early 20s, and... She was a talented, attractive person. She was different. So there are actually several poems in here about her. But as much as it pains me to admit, there's also a lot of dark poetry in here about my ex-girlfriend. And I have to say, it's weird reading poems about her, positive or negative, because, for one thing, sometimes you're with someone so long that they kind of become a part of your DNA. But also, I'm married now. So, it's been years since I've even seen this person. Um, the last time I saw her was in December of 2014. So, it is almost April of 2020 now. 
it's it's been quite some time so when I read these and I talk about them I don't want anyone who knows her if I doubt anyone listening does or if she's listening I don't want anyone to be offended because I don't bear her any ill will we were both kids when we knew each other and it's it's interesting how time heals things I think it's more that our memories forget so there are three poems back to back three weeks two weeks one week three weeks I'm alone in an orgy of opportunities a pillow to my chest eyes on the screen that distracts extracts my depression blood on the wall where my head used to sleep I told her I wanted to die but she leads me by my veins slowly down the coma I call her love she tugs a thousand miles, roads, trees, and promises between us, pulling me toward her for three weeks. Two weeks. Meeting in the parking lot. The greyhound behind you. My arms out in reservation. Wrap around in polite gesturing. Only a couple of weeks before we're back home, but a lifetime of us. As I try to know you and wonder if I'm myself in your embrace. The feelings did not go away once I got what I thought I wanted. I was still silent, head down across the table between the tortilla chips and the questions as to why I was not smiling or talking. I guess there's only two weeks for me to decide whether to accept or decline, but I'm inclined to wait. One week. I thought I'd take a gun go into the attic where the boy wouldn't see. Only you would find me. Then he sent me the image of your screaming, crying arms holding my body. That's all he showed me, because that's all that matters. I'm not always sure that you love me, but we all do in different ways. I want to overcome you in my arms because each time I see you you overcome me but when he showed me your red tears blood cheeks and the mouth that said no I decided that the gun and the attic did not seem real only you were I am here because even in agony I love you and hell is much more than what I face so in the summer of 2014, I had a mental breakdown. I was suicidal from late May until August. Every day, I, I pretty much thought about killing myself. So some of this had to do with the separation from my girlfriend because she was at home in another state. And... I had issues where I was dependent on her, so that's not her fault. She decided to take a longer trip because I was going to postpone my summer classes so I could be with her. And so that was something that I, I held against her. And when I saw her again, I'd sort of, I'd been alone for over a month. 
I didn't really go out and hang out with people or anything. And when I saw her again, it wasn't the same. I know in retrospect that I was still in love with this person, but it did not feel like that at the time. And I think that the best thing for me to have done was to have ended the relationship when she left to go home for the summer. And I I have a hard time talking about it even now because I, I have to choose my words carefully. And so it's very difficult to think back on that and think about the pain I went through. And a lot of it was self-inflicted. But it led me down a dark path. And I kind of took her with me. And that's hard to admit. Um, Now, I've told other people the story, like a full story. There's some blame on her part. However, there are things that I have to accept as an adult that are my responsibility. This poem is called Another Song by another band called Misunderstanding. If you haven't figured it out by now, this poem is about Genesis. The riff begins. A step ahead of your boots. Heels, leggings, jeans, sweater. Bum, 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 da, da. Not exactly on beat, but my eyes don't mind. The drums like sail on sailor. The words like my arms clamor. The bass, a following pattern. The keys, my nerves rising. There must be a reason I chose you. There must be a reason I like you above all the other suspects. The people who walk past me in a day. But I sit here, don't follow, my headphones pumping, wails into my heart. The thing I claim to have, but vicariously carry through you. The song ends, and I skip ahead to seven. The track that I always walk with. Away from where I see you, cement moving me to my domicile, with my sanity moving to each part. The drums, symbols of my lungs, the words, exactly what I want to say. The bass, a beat ahead of my pulse, the keys, my nerves entangling you. That is about the song Misunderstanding by Genesis and also it references track 7 on the album Duke which is one of Patrick Bateman's favorite albums that song is Turn It On Again so there are a lot of poems in this book about music like a poem about a band who played a song by another band this was one of my my friend Zev's favorite ones so I'll read it there were covers Not blankets, not pictures, not alibis. These were songs. I didn't write them, but I sang them, and they meant something from me to someone. 
but no one knew who really sang them first. I imagined the details, what guitar I'd play, what hair I'd have, what faces I'd make, but also the reactions, as if I could make anyone do something. But the songs had me. I believed that I could make you all cry, but also love and feel what I went through each time I read the songs. There were millions, not people, not dollars, not sales. These were emotions. I didn't write them, but I sang them, and they meant something to everyone who heard, but no one knew I was insane. She told me that was too forward. What phrases I'd write, what words I'd change, what reality I'd know, but also the editors. They wouldn't want me, just like the labels who never thought my sound was marketable. I believed that I could have integrity and hits, but also love. And you'd feel what I sang each time you heard my songs. Ooh, reading these old things gets me pumped up. This is Bastard I Am. And the reason I'm reading this is because it was my homepage poem on digital verse. Also, it's about eating a woman out. Unexpected moment, no one looks and finds the secret, but she comes to you, releasing your hold, the hands on true desire. Each smile and word is stake in your chest, leaking the blood trickle down to what always wins. But the tissue grows, flesh crumbles, and the tongue tastes the juice of her fantasy. Ooh. So. Here are three poems, back to back, make me endure, make me die, make me reborn. I mentioned the inspiration for the character Monsoon in a previous episode of the podcast. I am not going to mention that again. At least in detail, I'm going to read the poems and you're going to, you know, interpret them how, however you like. Make me endure. The brown irises textured in a smooth sea. The waters you baptize my eyes within. A voice unable to mouth between full lips that hide your smile. The words that may scar my face. From the torrid blades cried after my touch Does not reach your leather silk The skin I beg to endure Make me die Bludgeon my god-washed being Strike each cheek to say love Grasp the throat and push away Castrate and untangle my lust Drill evil spirits from my head And when you don't call my name Make the last word I speak yours if the death you grant me does not justify what you seek, torture the embryo I create in my stead. The perfection I cannot possess, but wait for your hammer on my ego to stamp approval on my woe. Make me reborn. I renounce the faith, speak a new dialect, affirming a devotion, shower to rinse the old expecting your arms, maybe your hand, if this fresh form 
satisfies your grasp, I pray in Kiblah. If futile, I remain thirsty. Your sate awaiting my zeal. I had to grab some apple juice. I was going into the kitchen for some water, and I saw my glass jug of Martinelli's, and I just had to have it, so... I'm going to peer- periodically, if I can speak, be drinking as I go along. So the next poem is called The Woman Implanted, and it's about the same girl. This is a long poem. I don't know if I'm going to be able to read it all at once. So be prepared for me to flub up a line. Another girl who moves as each home grows familiar and the grass greets her soft feet. A friend, finally, only to lose the familiar tracks, the comfort of knowing. As the hills shift, the landscape out the window revolves. Her sleep dims as the bulb, fresh and a murky fixture, shines on a new outset she didn't request. The girl as a riddle sits among peers unknown, each a likely lost friend. As if she were a mistress, a family views her as alien to their young bonds. She dare not raise a hand, nor note the facts aloud, and the teacher scowls in jealousy as her mental crucifix burns. A class lacks the coals, the familiar tracks that consume her dead love in school's dim flame. In this girl, I see the plath of the painters, the shock therapy his death brought, but not love. As I arrive, her shriveled hands do not clasp mine as I fall, so deep into my heart's abyss. Her image, the last I see each night before our digital embrace and goodbyes, the blue and blonde restless within the nicotine ache, her clot unable to forgo his memory, the dapper gent who oppressed into her chest, the dusty lungs unable to fend off nature's casualty. A woman, not mirror's gaze, she blindly grasped for her girl, but I screamed to crack the glass so she at last sees my penance and admits herself as the woman. At times, I smolder to clench her arms, her muscles tear as my ire of love compels her against morning's brick wall. No anguish as the skin rubs the clay, cement, and encrust her cells until the Scottish rain washes into the new grass she dances upon, the lawn tickling my ghost-tired will. Who made the girl a woman? Such trite thoughts do not cease my drought. The clamor for her drenching showers. The boys see new territory to scorch as Russians ruined their cities. Her legs cross, but each toe spreads as they disregard true sensual appeal. Her clean nails, not unlike the relics found in Christ. Against my cheeks, but only a reverie where I grow into a man at her disposal. The woman God implanted in my mind as a boy rest in the garden, the twelve-foot meadow, the sawed needles into each amber leg, the tracks she walked finally imprinting the grass 
an ocean apart from me. My single body lies holding her absent spirit, not alone, but not together. But I would gaze at the form I imagine next to me, the green swords peeking through her waves, black pupils content. Though even in respect and inner squalor, I wished to kiss, to worship, and enslave myself to the woman, the girl, the grass, the ideal. Whoa. Oh, boy. So, that was pretty heavy for me. My wife is watching Gilmore Girls in the other room. So, if you hear that, sorry. I would be remiss if I did not read the classic Crying Into My Breakfast. I could not enjoy the acoustic whispers breathing over a hair shirt microphone, but the stab wounds and sticky note made me gush as if my father beat me. The chicken soup milked from a can turned salty as my fears rushed down each cheek, my agony rising again through the suicide of another musician. I don't care if he lived or died. She told me I was wonderful, but that could not rest my doubts, the devil's sadist shop. The noodles harden in a crust around faux chicken and tasteless carrots that roar my stomach, but the tears stay fresh. Even if she pulls the knife from my hand, that could not stop needle in the hay and Owen's last false words from a playing in my head like the first six Black Sabbath album in Henry's head. The bowl's molding soup finally drains down my throat. Acid stirs the witch's spell. Climax of my life. Crying into my breakfast. I wish it were me. Not he. It is insanely difficult to not get emotionally drained after reading these. Good lord. So I will not be recording another episode of this today, but later in the week, maybe next Sunday, I seem to alternate on whether or not I want to release one or two episodes each week, and that really depends on my mood. And while we're all in quarantine, it seems fitting to record as much as I can. I do have some school stuff to do, finally. However, I hope that you really liked this reading, and I hope you let you... I can't speak today. I hope that you look forward to the next episode where I delve deeper into cornbread poetry. If you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter at Patrick Attaway with the extra little Y at the end. And as always, happy reading.